If you know me and have listened to me preach, you know very well my obsession with what is called the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative is the story from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story that takes place through the chronological kingdom of Israel leading up to the manifestation of Jesus Christ Christ coming in the flesh, the manifestation of the Spirit of God in the church, and ultimately what happens through the eschaton, the end of the age. It is important to know the biblical narrative because, quite frankly, it leads to having a proper understanding. That would be the simplest way to explain it. You know, again, a failure to understand the biblical narrative is like picking up a book and reading from the middle to the end and wondering why you missed a part of the story or why you don't understand certain details because you need to know the full story. That's why it's so important to get a full understanding of the time, the context, the culture that is found within the scriptures, within the biblical narrative. Let's face it, the Bible is a big book. Or, we should probably note, it's a big collection of books. And surely, there's a lot of things within the Bible to study out. Knowing the narrative helps clarify the details. Also, let's face it, we all have questions. For example, why did God choose to operate the way that he did? Why Jesus? Why the kingdom of God? All of this and more is gained through having a narrative understanding. Many of you may be familiar with my testimony that when I had, prior to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, one of my major contentions with the Christian faith, well, I had two major contentions. The first one was, I couldn't quite understand why somebody had to to die for my sins. That just didn't seem to work for me. Why did God create a system where somebody has to die in order to redeem mankind? Why didn't he just redeem mankind on his own? And I'm not alone in that understanding. Matter of fact, on social media yesterday, I had just seen somebody posting that type of thinking. And then my second problem was, well, now you're telling me that Jesus Christ did that, regardless to my contention with God's plan. You're telling me that Jesus Christ did that. And in my culture, the culture that I had come from, that gang culture, one of the things I was often taught was that you're not doing me a favor by doing something for me that I did not ask you to do. And what it often felt like was people were guilting me with the message of Jesus Christ by telling me some man did something for me that I did not ask him to do. And that created a conundrum for me. So, again, you see how important it is to have a biblical narrative because I imagine many of you are listening to this now and saying, well, I know how to answer that. You have to understand the story of the Bible. You have to understand what God was doing through Old Covenant Israel. What Adam meant to Old Covenant Israel. Why that became their identity. What was God doing through that story? What was the purpose and intention of what God did with Old Covenant Israel and ultimately what he did through the Messiah? My plan this morning is to bring us on a bit of a ride through the biblical narrative. God willing, each of you will leave with a more developed understanding of the grand story of Scripture. This should lead you to being more curious in wanting to study and know more about what the Bible teaches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I go about this immense task of detailing your biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, I do believe that you go before me. I do pray that you go before me and equip our minds and our hearts to hear from you, to get a more fuller expression of you through the story that you have laid out, through your redemptive plan, Lord. We thank you for that beautiful plan. We ask that you guide our study this morning, Lord, as we look to you, as we desire to learn your story, to express you more fully to a world that needs to know that story, Lord. Go before me. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.
Amen. So I have a couple of articles online regarding the biblical narrative, which will be posted on our website by tomorrow evening and sent to your email boxes. This is one of the main reasons you want to be a part of the Blue Point Bible Church's email list. Again, you can email me at ChristianityGoneWild at Yahoo.com, and I would be glad to put you on our email list. That way you receive our resources. Also, another great reason to visit our website at BluePointBibleChurch.org, and you can go to the updates on the right-hand side of the screen, and you can read updates that are given out weekly, if not bi-weekly. Tomorrow I'll be putting... Um, one of these updates up that will inform you more about the resources I have in regards to the biblical narrative. Two of those articles um, that will express a more full understanding of things that are happening within the scriptures throughout that biblical narrative. One is the ancestral story of the image of God. Very important to know about. And then another one is about what are you screaming with your life? In your life, you're either screaming one or two things, and you'll see that today as we go through the biblical narrative. You're either screaming the kingdom of God, your life is either emphasizing and highlighting the truth of God's kingdom, or it's manifesting carnality, wickedness. You're either living according to God's design, or you're leaning upon your own understanding. So we've been go- uh, another resource that I would like to make mention of is our sermon series we had done in February 2015 called Returning to Our First Love. This was a Bible series in which we journeyed through the story of Scripture as it flows naturally, making the exodus from the ever-popular idolatry of personal interpretation. What it required was understanding the cultural context, the time, the, the nature of the prophets, and what they were conveying and seeking to convey um, in their understanding rather than a 21st century overly Hellenistic, you know, I could keep going about all the distortions of the understanding we have today in a failure to understand the scriptures through audience relevance. Matter of fact, that sermon series will be published in book format in 2018, God willingly. So let's get right into this biblical narrative. What is the Bible? The Bible is a collection of 66 different books. One of the interesting things here at Blue Point Bible Church is that our windows highlight the different books. You have 27 in the New Testament and you have 39 in the Old Testament. And if you look at our window panes here at the church and you do the counting, they will actually help you understand the Old Testament and New Testament writings. So the Old Testament is rather large with 39 books in comparison to a smaller amount in 27 in the New Testament. Out of the Old Testament, let's start there. We have the first five books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And these are the detailing of God calling a people, equipping a people, making a people for his own glory, a people that would demonstrate the kingdom of God. As we're going to look at some texts today in the Torah, those first five books, the law of Moses, and we're going to see what God had set up his people to be and to demonstrate to the world. Then you get into the historical story of Israel as they're going about this plan of God. They go, you go from the story of Joshua and you begin to... Uh, move into the narrative of Israel moving in the land. You have historical writings, Joshua, you have uh, Judges, you have First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel. I'm not telling you them in order. You have the books of wisdom. Again, the books of wisdom are very important because the books of wisdom, they're not necessarily written in story format. They're written in a format that is desired to give you the wisdom of God. Whereas one of my personal favorites in Psalm chapter 3, David is trusting in God over his adversaries, the many adversaries that have been set up against him. And in that detailing, you catch this amazing image of God's faithfulness and his truthfulness and how he goes before us in battle to defeat our enemies. That wisdom, the true wisdom of God. However, what's interesting to know is that 
the carnal, the worldly perspective of that situation was that David was actually being hunted by his own son, Absalom. Yet look at David's wisdom and how he sets his mind on the things that are above. And that's the goal of the books of wisdom, which are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And then you move into the prophets, right? You have the historical prophets, Isaiah, pretty much every Old Testament writing with a name, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations is a prophecy, uh, Zephaniah, you know, all these different Hebrew names or English equivalents of Hebrew names. And uh, these prophets are, you know, the writings of the prophets from pretty much 8th century B.C. forward, leading up all the way up to about the 4th century B.C. with Malachi and... uh, I believe it was the 4th century B.C., four, yeah, 4th or 5th century B.C., and uh, Malachi being that prophet that prophesies uh, before the time of darkness where there was no prophet heard. That's the Old Testament. Then you have 20, the 27 books of the New Testament, which are the four Gospels, right, the stories of Jesus. Then you have the writings from church uh, leaders such as Paul, Peter, James, John, and uh, these composed New Testament writings that happened after the 1st century forward. It's very important to know what these 66 books are and the context of each book and the details that are happening within those times. In the book Wicked, one of the things I had said about the Old Testament was, I said the Old Testament is a detailing of how Old Covenant Israel was given the truth of God, spirituality, which was to inform and guide them into a healthy life, the reality of the kingdom of God. Yet they failed to walk worthy and thus manifested wickedness instead. We do this today. Matter of fact, many of us do this with the knowledge of God and the biblical narrative. I refer to this as the challenge of intentional ignorance, cognitive dissonance, and presuppositional paradigms. Let me explain those three things to you. Intentional ignorance. You ever talk to somebody and you feel as though they just do not want to hear what you have to say? Or has anybody ever spoken to you and maybe you intentionally did not want to hear what they had to say? That intentional ignorance? Cognitive dissonance is that... uh, how would I explain cognitive dissonance? It's a, like an intentional confusion. Confusion. You ever talk to a futurist about Bible prophecy and it seems as though you're making sense, you're making sense, and then all of a sudden they throw in a machine gun of questions or they do something that seems to disrupt the unity of the conversation? That is cognitive dissonance. It's like an intentional confusion, if you will. And then presuppositional paradigms is one of the most complicated ones and the most popular, which is basically the paradigms that we have built up in our head, that through tradition, through, you know, there's nobody in our country in the United States of America that hasn't heard something about Jesus. Whether that is true or not depends upon that paradigm. So presuppositional paradigms are the things that we've built up, the paradigms, the pictures we've built up without actually knowing much. They're presuppositions. We haven't fully looked into the details, but this is what we basically know. Again, you know, most people would say they know Jesus was a Jew. They haven't looked into it. They don't understand anything about the Jews or the history of the Jews or why Jesus needed to be born under law as a Jew, but they just understand that Jesus is a Jew. That's a paradigm that has been given, a presuppositional paradigm that many carry. Some presuppositional paradigms are true. Some are false. Unfortunately, faulty presuppositional paradigms lead to intentional ignorance and cognitive dissonance. So those are the things we need to move away from. We want to become an informed people. We want to be a people that study, seek, and search and prove. That's the type of people we need to be when we enter into understanding the Bible or we seek to help other people understand the Bible. So that's exactly what we're going to begin doing right now. When you open up the Bible to the book of Genesis, you begin with what is called a creation account. Now, if you go back to the ancient Near Eastern culture through which 
the book of Genesis comes to us from about 10,000 years ago, you learn some interesting things. You learn that there were these writings called temple texts, and each one of those temple texts was dedicated to a certain god. And the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, corresponds to those temple texts. Those temple texts would demonstrate the sovereignty of that God over something. Now, Genesis chapter 1 is declaring sovereignty of God over his people Israel, as well as what that demonstrates, heaven and earth. So he's, heaven and earth is his people Israel, again, a covenant phrase that is used all throughout the Bible to illustrate covenant people, one of my favorite texts to go to would be Deuteronomy chapter 31, where Moses refers to Israel as heaven and earth. And you see this again and again throughout the Bible. Now, that heaven and earth also characterizes that that God is the God of the heavens and the earth. He is the one true God in contrast to the other temple texts temple text of the ancient Near East where they were dedicated to all various different gods. There was a God for the water. There was a God for the wheat. There was a God for the harvest. There was a God for the, you know, the humanity. Um, all these different stories. So in this creation account, the one true creation account, the one true God creates all things. He sees a world in disorder. He brings order. He does this by creating Adam, man. Again, you're seeing an illustration of God creating his kingdom because you're going to see that through the warp and woof of scripture, through the entire narrative, the story is the kingdom of God. How God was bringing the kingdom of God to manifest on earth. So in this story, as we begin to open up Genesis about the one true God, this temple text that declares that on day one he did this, day two he did this, again corresponding to those ancient Near Eastern temple text writings. This God creates Adam. He creates Adam in the image of God. Matter of fact, I want to read that this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every green plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The image of God is a very interesting thing to understand in its proper context. I hear many people offer that all mankind is created in the image of God. That is not what is being detailed here in the book of Genesis. It's not the biological creation of the physical planet and mankind. It's talking about God creating his covenant with man. Again, this man specifically is the man, Adam, who is the progeny of Israel. He's the story, the beginning story, if you will, to the genesis of Israel. Here, Ian Hart, a popular Bible scholar, says this, Exercising royal dominion over the earth as God's representative is the basic purpose for which God created man. Man is appointed king over creation, responsible to God, the ultimate king, and as such is, and as such is expected to manage, develop, and care for creation. You see, this is very important. Because in the ancient Near East, they did not view man as the pre-Hebrews, I guess if you will call them that, the people prior to Adam would have viewed man. Those people in that ancient Near Eastern Sumer Mesopotamian culture, they viewed as disgusting, 